Hello and welcome to Conquering Chaos and Mayhem. I'm your moderator, Breck Lover, and it is my pleasure to introduce the host of Conquering Chaos and Mayhem, Daryl Cully. Daryl, how have you been? Awesome. How are you, Brett? Well, I got a little bigger over the holidays, I'm afraid to say, but I think I'm doing pretty okay otherwise. <laughs> we got a really interesting guest lined up today, today Daryl. She is an Indigenous mental health and wellness worker with experience in nonviolent crisis intervention, mediation, and diversion in Indigenous restorative justice. Please join me in welcoming Tara Hakala. Tara, thanks for joining us today. This promises to be a very interesting conversation. I can't wait to see where it goes. Daryl, the floor is yours. Well, welcome, Tara. We um, certainly appreciate you being able to uh, join our podcast today. And your background is so wide, so varied, um, and you've got so much expertise. We really needed to narrow down our topic for today. Uh -oh. Yeah, it's it's been a wild ride, right? It's been, you know, 20 plus years working with humans in a lot of different capacities. So I can't say there's an expertise, but there's certainly a breadth. And I hope we can, yeah, have a good conversation today. One of the things that uh, we had discussed as wanting to talk about today is the evacuations of uh, First Nations, Indigenous communities um, mm -hmm. during crisis. Uh, I, my background, of course, with um, uh, air ambulance and the Ministry of Health was evacuating community hospitals and, and healthcare centers and, and the elderly from, from many of these communities during flooding. And, and more so EMG has worked with some communities, or First Nations communities in their evacuations. But um, when the government comes in and says, everybody get out, there's a lot of things that need to be considered for, for the community. And I think there's often a misunderstanding um, by the government or sometimes by those people who are um, taking on the, the evacuation that, you know, they can just say, get up and move and everyone will do that. But there's a lot of considerations that have to be given to the community. Can you touch on some of those? Yeah. I mean, where do you start, right? I mean, some people are fine to move, but then there are your elderly and people who have, you know, uh, struggles with bodily movement or who can find to a chair or um, people who just really don't want to come to a larger center like Thunder Bay for whatever reason. Um, so when I was working with Pekanjikum for fire evacuations, there was, you know, there was a portion of people who could come and a portion of people who didn't want to come and then some who could come. But, you know, that even to get like the logistics of moving such a large amount of people, just the airplanes, hotel rooms, um, having enough food, having access to enough water, just the logistics are mind boggling to move an entire community, right? Well, one of the communities we worked with um, were rather concerned because they were going to be dispersed amongst hotels and motels across a, a, a city, mm -hmm. um, a very large city. But they wanted to maintain, council wanted to maintain their ability to connect with everybody, their ability to uh, communicate and still have council play a role. And... Mm -hmm. And so that, um, you know, when the evacuation was ordered, the, the government really never gave them any consideration for that. So we 
we tried to help them put together a, um, a central spot where they, you know, council was available for the people to come in and meet with and, and health services and social services from their own first nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to all of a sudden here you are somewhere in a big city. Right. Yeah, and what we saw with Prekanjikram was um, there were, you know, three different hotels that had space. So they were focused on those hotels, but they were spread out throughout the city. And then you had family members wanting to visit, but not being able to necessarily navigate, you know, the bus routes or understand the distance. Or um, And um, that central meeting point would be great if it was available, right? But I mean, it's an emergency situation, so there's not always space. And there are other people coming into a larger center. So it's, yeah, it's a tough one to navigate for sure. And as you had mentioned, they're coming from a very small community Mm -hmm. where they know everybody. Everybody knows each other to a place where there's a lot of strangers. And they're they're, um, getting over that must be a real challenge. There were definite stressors, especially for youth. Um, I mean, youth and community could have a lot more freedom to move around and go places, right? But in a larger center like Thunder Bay, they become really vulnerable um, to certain segments of the population, uh, vulnerable to assault, vulnerable to um, a lot of the worst things, right, that they don't see in northern communities. So used to the freedom to move and go where they want to go. But if you do that here and you don't know what areas are safe, um, that presented a lot of really concerning challenges. And that led to a lot of working with, you know, police and emergency personnel. Um, it led to potential, you know, missing teenagers or needing to track people down. Um, and a lot of worried parents saying, you know, you know, I could, you know, back home, I would know where my child would be. There'd be a here, here or there. Right. But here you just take a long walk down Arthur street or Red River road and, and, they could be anywhere. Um, and that's not like, and the, and the stress of commu- you know, moving to being go, you know, you can just wander if you're somewhere that's rural, you can just go for a, a walk and it is a, generally safe. Um, but if you're coming into a larger city, that, that, that sense of safety, even if it, you have it with you, it might not actually be as, you know, safe. So we, we bring in, People who are used to being in a very small community where they know everybody, um, you know, you walk down the street and everyone you see, you know, mm-hmm. arriving in a large city where there's so many strangers, um, everybody's a stranger. And all of a sudden you've got the hustle and bustle of a city. Um, you've got temptations that kids wouldn't normally have in their own communities um how how do you prepare a community for that and should you know do we leave it till the time of evacuation or should we be preparing communities in advance for if this happens this is what you might experience and how to deal with it I'm always going to argue in advanced preparation for everything right the more you know the more power you have to control potential outcomes and avoid crisis situations. Um, is that a tough conversation to have and a tough conversation to, you know, present? Yes, but knowledge is power, uh, ultimately. 
Um, some of the situations that we saw could maybe have been avoided with a little bit of advanced knowledge, but you also don't know when a crisis like a fire or a flood is going to happen. So how do you prepare for the unknown? Um, yeah, I suspect you could come in and present um, ahead of time. Like these are the obstacles. If you get evacuated, um, you, you know, if you head to say Thunder Bay and it's a larger center, here are some of the things that are actually happening in Thunder Bay and not to be worried about it, but like, here are the things to be aware of, to be alert for, to be cautious of, right? Because you don't want to add fear to the situation because then, you know, we're already stressed out and worrying, but you know, here are some precautions you can take. And I like the idea of a central gathering place where they can meet with council. Um, I think that's really nice. Um, for a lot of the First Nations that were evacuated, they had crisis teams and um, security and then people from community who they could touch base with, right? All in one center at each of the hotels. But it would be ideal if you could just take a community and put them in so like in a space where they could be around their community instead of dispersed throughout the city um, and able to, you know, if there's any the other thing we saw was really stressed out community members, right? Um, some people didn't speak the language, didn't speak English um, and had not been out of their community before. So just, uh, and I mean, yeah, you're used to familiar faces. You're used to being able to move around in comfort and confidence. And that definitely was a challenge here. And as you said, you know, you don't know when that's going to occur. Um, but we do know that there's an increasing trend for larger wildfires, more wildfires um, in the spring we're talking about flooding and, you know, evacuating um, First Nations on the coast of, of James Bay mm -hmm. and that type of thing. So, so we do know that it may not be your community this year. It may be somebody else's. But if, if chief and council can, can um, work with planners and, and putting together a plan, um, so that they're not doing it at the last minute. They know where chief and council will, will go, and the elders of the community may be a great resource. And and so, um, you know, as you said, keeping them together uh, in close proximity so that they can communicate and reassure and um, yeah, be comfort for each other, right? Um, the familiar when you're in, you know, being around familiar phases when you're in an unfamiliar place, having that circle of support around you, that that really is a protective factor for how you're going to react in crisis, right? For, for de-stressing, you know, okay, I can go visit, you know, my extended family member. Um, we can get together in a room and we can, you know, talk and tell stories and watch our kids together and just share a meal or, you know, whatever brings comfort. Because those times of crisis, that, like the level of stress that people experience, is, did, I mean, being displaced from your home and not knowing if you're even going to have a home to go back to. What's that like for a person, for a family, you know? Um, so anything that would provide comfort and stability and structure and support, that central meeting point. Um, even if the hotels that we saw, cause there were three, but they were literally all across the city. Um, if they, if there was a nice 
grouping, you know, that that physical proximity would make a really big difference, I think, for people in crisis. Um, and, and, you know, obviously the the economics or whatever at the time, hotels have pre-bookings and, and that sort of thing. So it it makes it very difficult to say, oh, we're all going to stay at, at one particular place. Yeah. But there, may, there may be options such as putting a regular shuttle that just drives between the three three locations on a you know an hourly or, or every two or three hours might help. Yeah, every few a few times a day. Yeah. Or um I mean around here, I don't know, but we have community centers where you could be, you know, potentially booking, you know, well, this is when we're all gonna get together, right? And then shuttle people to that point. Um yeah, we saw just families separated, and that's never a great thing. No. Um, and, and you mentioned a, a great point, having a location where you can continue the traditions. You know, celebrating um, yeah. someone's birthday or, or you know, uh, celebrating people, but continuing those instead of all of a sudden, all of that's cut off for a period of time. Yeah. Um cultural ceremony is a really stabilizing factor for Indigenous people, right? That ability to to meet and to, you know, practice their traditional ways, which were taken for so long, um, that's a source of comfort and a protective factor too. So having a place where people can meet and smudge um, would make such a big difference. Right. And... and you represent some of that within Thunder Bay and you and your organization. My, yeah, the organization that I work for, um, we do our best to provide um, cultural supports um, to reinforce cultural practices, traditional practices. And then we have a couple of really lovely workers who arrange things like sweat, sweat lodges and um, drumming groups and full moon ceremonies and um, those are all really grounding practices. They're also a great place to release stress or any worry. Um, and so, yeah, our agency, while we're, you know, I mean, there's always restrictions and funding what a person can do on a 35 hour work week, but we do our best um, to work with indigenous people in Thunder Bay and anyone who comes to Thunder Bay, anyone who comes through our doors, right? And we see, you know, a full spectrum of humanity coming through the doors. Um, for myself, um, even though I'm a third generation settler here, I've been working with traditional Indigenous cultural practices for about three years. And I find them really valuable in my personal life and in my professional life. Um, and so to be able to smudge as in order to kind of ground yourself in, in, in chaos, right? Because again, we see, you know, people coming from our tent cities coming through our doors and, and, and people coming in acute stages of crisis or people who come just because they want to talk about some of the grief and loss and trauma they've experienced. Um, to be able to have a place to, to ground and then the sweat lodge to release some of that stress, drumming circles to, you know, bond with community, full moon ceremonies for women to, um, again, release some of the stress that comes with the the intergenerational impacts of things like residential schools. And, um, and then, I mean, every community is experiencing 
a stress related to the history of in what's happened. Um, so, so the Friendship Center, as much as we can, when people come to Thunder Bay, we try and provide that kind of cultural center, that grounding point. Um, would I argue for better funding for all social service agencies that do this kind of work? Absolutely, because that would allow us to increase our ability to support people. But, you know, we do what we can with what we have. And um, I think we do, you know, a pretty good job. We get pretty good feedback and, and we get some, you know, sometimes we're able to transform some of the tears into smiles um, in, in, under different timelines for everybody. Right. But that's pretty nice. And such an important role, um, not only on a day-to-day -day basis, but especially in time of crisis, in time of evacuations. Um, and so I, I really appreciate your input today. Um, I, I'm sure we could go on for another hour w without... Um, Probably a year, honestly, just so many things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, so we'll have to come back and do another podcast and, and continue the conversation. Um, but let, let me just say to all the CEMCs out there, the Community Emergency Management Coordinators um, that are out there that um, are playing a role in these evacuations, that connecting with your local Indigenous um, Friendship Centre, I don't think is optional. I think it's mandatory and they need to get out and do it now, not when the, the crisis occurs and um, make sure that you're part of the, that planning and support um, process right from, from day one. And. Um, or even pre day one, right? Like being proactive can really help alleviate stress when the crisis happens and we know yeah crisis are going to escalate the you know climates are changing so yeah absolutely so uh thank you um i i'm sure that uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, interested listeners and and we'll uh again we'll get back together sometime soon and I'd like to echo Daryl's gratitude. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your insights. And on behalf of Daryl Cully, I'm Brett Glover. Thank you for listening to Conquering Chaos and Mayhem.